Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR workforce management rotor operation software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long term, not just survive. There's a few things around financial wellness, right? One thing is the cost of living crisis is really pushing this industry a lot, right? Because margins are already super tight. And when you then start competing with others for the same employees and everyone's just pushing salary up by one pound an hour, then the other ones go two pound an hour, then you go three pound an hour, suddenly there's a margin to give anymore, right? So doing anything that can help these employees relieve the stress of the cost of living crisis, that's not just like, obviously salaries need to be at a level where you can actually live. But a lot of it relates to what we we're talking about earlier and that they don't have the financial education. So a lot of the problems that exist are not just because of a low salary. They're also because of a lack of understanding about finances, right? And then I think the financial wellness or flip side, the financial stress, fixing that is the fundamental part of work. Like if I'm stressed about my finances, then it doesn't matter how good my pre-boarding, my onboarding, and you know my career mm. journey is. If I'm stressed about my finances, that's what I'm going to be focused on. It's impossible to be a good manager if you think about, can I pay the next bill? So I think this is why employers, to an increasing degree, taking on the financial wellness bit, because it's one, a productivity thing. Two, it is the most central benefit you can give to your employees is actually helping them sort their financial lives out. This is Jonathan Mark Rasmussen, a fellow Dane and tech and hospitality-driven entrepreneur. He is, together with the team at All Gravy, helping progressive hospitality operators build great employee experiences through their platform that provides not only financial wellness solutions, but also lots of tools to boost your employee experience. In this conversation, we will first of all uncover why the company name is All Gravy as well learn much more about Jonathan's entrepreneurial journey into tech and hospitality. We discussed the power of helping your employees with personal finances and how that actually can impact individual as well as company performance. We explore the challenges operators are facing right now when it comes to attracting and retaining staff and the importance of building a great employee experience is very key for achieving not only competitive edge, but also become a preferred employer to work for. We discussed the role that tech plays in building better companies and what he has been learning as a business owner over the last couple of years. This is a conversation full of practical insights and action you can use to boost your employee experience. If you want to get more insights on what Maverick leaders do and know, as well as more backstage info on the show, sign up for the weekly newsletter, Maverick Talk, five minutes each week that could transform your leadership or business forever. Find a link 
for signing off in the show notes or via hospitalitymavericks.com. Enjoy this conversation. Today we are joined by a fellow Dane, and we haven't had a lot of Danes in Scandinavia, so I'm always excited when that happens because it's always good to reconnect back to the roots and always exciting to see there's some maverick stuff going on back in my own home country, Denmark. And Jonathan is our guest today. I met, I can't actually remember, I think I met you online first, Jonathan, and then we met up in here in the UK. And we got to start talking and you start talking about how you're actually trying to trailblaze financial wellness for frontline employees, which is very relevant in the times we live in and has always been very relevant in all the years I can remember. One of the biggest challenges some frontline employees is actually they having enough to, to have actually a good life when you work in hospitality or any frontline job. So with that said, welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thanks so much, Michael. Excited to be here. So the first time I heard about your company, I think actually it was shared friend Glenn that introduced and said, there's this company, Michael, all gravy you need to talk with. I thought, what the hell is that about? I thought. So Jonathan, it would probably be good from a you know, context point of view that you just give a bit about your background and how you started a company that's called All Gravy and you know, it's about financial wellness. Where's the dots? Yeah, of course. I'll uh, give a quick intro to myself and then jump into all gravy. So actually I started in the UK and started a very boring career in consulting for banks. So I come from the financial world, spent three years there with Excel and PowerPoint and thought, you know what, I think, I think I should be doing something else with my life than, than this. Then spent four years in, in different technology companies before going back to my roots, which is the hospitality world. So uh, my mom has always been a waitress. She had a cafe for two years, failed miserably with that, and then went back to being a waitress. And yeah, my girlfriend's family has had a bunch of cafes as well. So it's a world I've, you know, worked in since I was five, grew up in, and yeah, was excited to, uh, to try and build something in here. Uh, so, so going into to Old Gravy, I was really inspired by, you know, I come from the finance world, then I have a mom that worked as a waitress, and seeing how she managed finances was like, a little bit of a wake-up call for me. I was like, that's definitely not how they teach you how to do it <laughs> in the world I come from. So the way she dealt with it was really, if she had a good week with a lot of tips, a lot, some of that money would go under the mattress. And then when a big bill comes or if we need to go travel, she'd look under the mattress to find money to get these things to happen, which is really a terrible way of dealing with finances. No one was really there to help her, not her employer, not the bank, because she wasn't rich enough that anyone really gave her advice. And, you know, you don't really learn this stuff in school. So uh, I think her experience is very similar to what a lot of employees and people in this industry are experiencing day to day, like not having a great system for managing their money. And, you know, I thought that's quite an interesting thing to, to jump into and try and help. And what I did was go out and interview a lot of waiters, bartenders, people in the industry trying to understand like, what frustrates them about money, what are the challenges that they have, but also what motivates them about work, like why is it fun to be in this industry? And uh, really got to see that the biggest issue a lot of people have is they don't know how much money they're earning, they don't know what their bills are, so it's very hard to make ends meet. And even though they have the ability to take an extra shift they don't do it because they don't know that they need to take that or they don't know how much they'll have and creating any systems for saving is super hard. So after 
speaking to people and realizing, okay, there's a real problem here, you know, connecting that to the to the bigger industry problems that I was seeing, that it's actually really hard to attract employees and employers want to do what they can to become more attractive. I thought, okay, that's a pretty interesting place to to create a product or a company really that helps. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of jumping from myself into how did I end up starting All Gravy? Yeah, and it's, you know, the driver behind the platform, we will probably talk about in a moment when we dive into that, but I was really interesting how did he came up with that name? Because I think I never asked you that. Like, why yeah. all gravy, you know? Like, because... Yeah. So, good question. And people are pretty confused when I say we have a financial company called All Gravy. We've always thought of ourselves as being a company for the hospitality industry, not a financial company. And I think a lot of the things that we see in the industry from financial companies and the way that they make money is really like different to what we want to do. So we want to be as helpful as possible. Banks and financial companies want to be as precise as possible and not make any mistakes that they can be like, that people can come after them for. Where we're a bit more like, let's be helpful to people. And again, that also goes a little bit back to the business model, which I'll get back to, which is we never charge any employees for what we're doing. We're just being helpful to them. But behind the name, All Gravy is... All gravy means it's all good, right? So what we're trying to do is ease people's minds around money. So that's why it's all gravy. It obviously Mm. has a pretty clear connection to the industry that we work in. And it sets us apart from any other financial company out there. That's really interesting because then that comes to what I was thinking about. I was talking about that. So like for the listeners out there, what is like the friction you have been solving over the last three years? And where is it that really you're doing some transformation? in people's life besides getting them education about how to, you know, how actually to use money better and the psychology around money. Yeah. So the things that we, I'm going to start just from a slightly different point and then go into answering your question. Yeah. So the problem or the friction that employees in this industry tend to have is that they have variable income. It's extremely hard to know exactly what they're going to get paid in any given month. Now, this is both a problem and a superpower, you could say. It's a superpower in the sense that you can actually impact your own salary. But if you have no idea what kind of bills you're going to have and like what you need to set aside for savings, it's really hard to manage this. And if you don't know what you're going to get paid, then it's also really hard to manage your savings so, or your work. So what we're doing is we're making it extremely clear for you exactly how much are you going to get paid, how much goes to your bills, and how much goes to any savings you have and what you have left for yourself. On top of this, what we also do is allow you to access your money whenever you need it. So rather than you having to work a given day, wait four weeks, and then get paid for that day, as soon as you've done the work, you actually can get paid. Mm -hmm. And I think what we've done is transform this from a salary system that's very easy for the accountant to deal with to a salary system that's built for the employee. So we basically thought if we take money and salary and say, if this was built for the employee, how would we do it? Well, obviously, the employee should know how much have I earned? Like that's the first thing that people don't know. Then they should know how does that connect to their personal life? And then it should be up to them when they want to take it out or when they need it, not when it fits with whatever schedule the accountant has. And I think that's the key transformation that we've done, really taking salary from being employer driven to being employee centric. That's super interesting. If like we simplify that, what I have experienced as an operator in operation where, you know, young people, you know, they move from home, they 
move to the bigger city, they work in your establishment, and then they all have different landlords that is actually claiming the rent on different dates. So exactly. some of them will be in the middle of the month, some will be the end of the month, some have totally obscure dates. And I can remember when I got that request the first time, I thought, oh, no, you get your salary on the first. And that's how we do. We just do one payroll. But actually, we found it out, actually, to one of the biggest retention tools we could change very quickly was to, then we did payroll every week to do that. But that's, of course, has a cost to the business and some stress for the accounts. But it's really interesting here. I guess also what you take away from the business is also they don't have to manage that bit. That's actually now in the hands of you guys in the platform. Exactly. So if we think about like, we are kind of put in place to create a win-win situation. So the employees, we want to reduce financial stress. We want to give them empowerment over their own money, right? I was just looking up the stats again in the UK. It's 70% of people report being worried about money. 30% mm. of people report that, they, that their productivity at work is impacted by stressing about this cost of living crisis. And 32% of the UK population lays awake at night once a week thinking about money. So mm. it's a huge burden to have as an employee. And it also impacts your performance. Let's think about you know, running a normal service well is super hard. Running a normal service well when you're worried about whether you can pay the bill to your landlord is impossible, right? So we're both fixing the problems in terms of the stress for the employee, but also the performance that they can deliver at the job, which you can actually see in the stats, right? One, they take 20% more shifts because they're very motivated to do work. They can see what they actually get out of it, but they also stay longer. 15% is what we see across our customers. On the other hand, for the employer, what's easier for them is one, they don't need to do weekly salaries. They can just do it monthly, and then the employees can decide how they want to get paid. Two, uh, the Friday night shifts that are always quite hard. Someone's ill. You have to call 10 different people. It gets a lot easier when people can come in that Friday night and get paid on the same evening or you know the morning after and go for brunch or whatever. It's really creating this direct link between I do some work and I get rewarded. And that's really mm. what we're trying to do. And that's like really interesting again because taking those extra hours are maybe for indulgement, but also I think I really like when you talked about that thing, actually, you know, learning young people about money because I didn't, I was quite lucky. My mom and dad ran a business. So P&L became part of my, you know, I learned about that. So when I became a manager, I understood that I've always put a little bit aside, no matter what exactly always helps, you know, no matter what. Yeah. So you have that and lots of young people don't learn that before very late in their life. And actually the whole psychology of money that, Money makes money in principle. Exactly. And so you can actually start saving up to that deposit for, you know, your house or whatever it is in the future, the car you need to bring you to work, whatever it is. So actually, but lots of people, as you say, lives in that distressed world of never having enough and actually be depending on the next paycheck. And actually there's an, a journey where you need to learn that whole psychology of money, as I call it. I think that's really interesting. But what has the journey for you guys been? So what has happened? Because you launched very successful in Scandinavia. You just entered the UK. Can you talk a bit about some of the work you've done with companies and what happens when they sign up to the platform? You just mentioned some of the retention numbers there, but like of course. you also evolved the product because you found out there were other needs within the, the companies. Exactly. So we, we started working with this product we call financial wellness. And what we saw was really having the pioneers in the in Scandinavia jumped on this, right? Uh, yes, 7-Eleven, Let's Sushi, the big kind of Danish players uh, jumped in. The companies that want to do something for their employees, they were very keen to do this early on. 
some of the impact we saw of that was, for example, let sushi, the reserves took 50% more shifts just from the financial wellness thing. So you actually really get these employees engaged. But as we got further into the industry, I think we saw a bigger trend happening and there's really much more that we could do, right? Because the big thing that we've seen happening is naturally the whole labor shortage, right? Like restaurateurs are fighting for labor right now. And what they're trying to do is provide a better employee experience end to end. The issue is that in their attempt to do this, they buy a bunch of different apps that solves all kinds of small problems. And suddenly as you start as an employee, you have to download six apps to create a, or to brew a cup of coffee, right? And that mm. creates a terrible employee experience and it creates a lot of cost on the side of the restaurants. And then when the financial wellness app comes in as the seventh app, they're like, well, we can't have any more apps. So we saw a pretty fantastic opportunity for actually saying, okay, let's talk about the employee journey from end to end. What happens on the first day that the employee comes into the restaurant? Actually, before the first day, how do you prepare them to have a great first day? What do you then do in the onboarding phase from the first day to say the 60th day? And then what do you do in what we call the growth phase? How do you create that entire employee journey? And that's really what we've created in one single platform starting from the financial wellness, which we see being the most important for the employees, but then driving out to have one app that takes care of everything from pre-boarding, ensuring that you know what's expected, that you can train yourself, that you can actually start engaging with the manager so you get rid of that first day anxiety, moving into the onboarding piece, constantly having exactly the information that you need, and then moving into what we call the community piece, which is the communications, being able to know what are the values of the companies, what are the new things that are happening that gets people excited about being there and being able to communicate with your colleagues so you're part of something bigger. So really taking that thing end to end from getting paid the first day training community and then having this data element underneath so that the management team always knows what's going on in the business. Are people happy in this location, in that location? Are the initiatives we're doing to make life better for our employees? Are they actually working? So that's really where we've gone with the platform to create a single interface that employees go to connect with their work. So it's, it's quite interesting. So you talk about the management getting this data. Have you seen that management then have used that to, you know, evolve other initiatives in their people strategy and how they build that end-to-end experience? Which is, of course, on everybody's thoughts, as you said. All the operators I talked with this week you know, and we have Thursday now, and I talked with four different yeah. operators and the top thing in that conversation was churn and how do I retain my people and how do I actually create those touch points so they actually feel it's a bit different here. Exactly, exactly. So I think there's a few things to pick up on his data point and there's how do you actually use that data. I think an interesting anecdote I have from one of the operators in Scandinavia is an HR director who said, And this is common for all HR directors in this industry, right? Is that they spend all of their time firefighting and very little time being strategic because there's a lack of employees, right? And if there's 20 employees lacking in one location, like your HR director sure as hell is going to be spending their time recruiting for that location. What she said is that over two months, she hired 30 people into one location that only needed 30 people, right? And after those two months, that location continued said, we need more people. And she was like, well, something's wrong here, right? I just recruit 30 people for this. Then had one of her team members go into the workforce management system, take out the data and found out actually they're churning 
100% of their employees in a two-month period. So it doesn't matter how many people you're recruiting into that, there's something else that needs to be fixed, right? So with the data, she was actually able to go in and you know change the management of that location and fix that. So I think one thing data is super useful for, like the hardcore churn data, is pinpointing where is it going wrong? Is it in the onboarding phase? Is it a specific location where it's going wrong? Is it a role? Is it front of house? Is it the shifts? Where is it actually going wrong? So you can spend your time in the right place. But the more important thing, I think, for most of our customers is what we call the leading indicator. So the satisfaction score, you can see that dropping before you get the churn. So you can actually start doing something about it before you start losing your employees. So I think that's a pretty key point is like, what do you use the data for, right? Just having the data is not that useful, but you can use it to focus your energy to become strategic rather than just firefighting. And I think that's where it starts becoming really interesting. Uh, that's super interesting, Jonathan, because I can remember when I was in HR, we talked a lot about that. How do we actually, you know, use data actively to go pinpoint? And at that point, you know, we didn't have platform those in real time. It was like Excel data was almost, you know, outdated before you got to the problem. Exactly. Because, you know, three, six months is a long time. But again, I think it's really interesting to see how HR also is changing now and the role is changing from a people strategy because so, people strategy now is as important as your sales strategy. And in sales, you always talked about before when I was in big companies, sales is not working in that store or in that specific region. And then you talk about, we have a sales problem. And then sometimes actually when you start looking at data, no, we don't have a sales. We have a, it's the wrong product we're trying to push through there. It's the wrong menu or it's actually our distribution that's not working. And that's actually what, so again, because you had so many data points on sales, yeah. we're now yeah. starting to get the same amount of data points on employees in real time. So actually yeah. you can actually almost in real time solve some people problems. Of course, they are more complex than products yeah. and distribution because it's humans. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that goes a little bit back to the question you had, right? Like how do you use this data to actually fix that employee journey to figure out like, how can we make our place a little bit better than the others in that specific area? I think it, it's not super simple to do that. You can use the data to pinpoint where do we have the pain and naturally then there's some best practice. And that's also what we provide at Old Gravy, right? We provide a tool to create a great pre-boarding, onboarding and growth experience, but we also tell you. The best that we see out there, best practice is that you do this in the pre-boarding phase, this in the onboarding phase, and then this in the growth phase. Really interesting. It leads me back. I actually want to take us a little bit back to you said that you are leading with financial wellness. So why has that become so important for business? It's maybe obvious, like if you think you're a good human, you would do that and help other people learning about if you know something you should learn. But why suddenly is that, you know, cost of living crisis probably pushing, but why is that so much on the agenda in companies? Well, why, what is that you're learning as you talk with, uh, you know, the employers about how they want to help their people? Yeah, I think there's, uh, there's a few things around financial wellness, right? You, one thing is the cost of living crisis, uh, as you mentioned yourself, is really pushing this industry a lot, right? Because margins are already super tight. And when you then start competing with others for the same employees and everyone's just pushing salary up by one pound an hour, then the other ones go two pound an hour, then you go three pound an hour, suddenly there's a margin to give anymore, right? So doing anything that can help these employees relieve the stress of the cost of living crisis, that's not just like, obviously salaries need to be at a level where you can actually live. But a lot of it relates to what we we're talking about earlier and that 
they don't have the financial education. So a lot of the problems that exist are not just because of a low salary. They're also because of a lack of understanding about finances, right? And then just going back to the stats that I was talking about before, I think the financial wellness or flip side, the financial stress, fixing that is the fundamental part of work. Like if I'm stressed about my finances, then it doesn't matter how good my pre-boarding, my onboarding and, you know, my career mm. journey is. If I'm stressed about my finances, that's what I'm going to be focused on. It's impossible to be a good manager if you think about, can I pay the next bill? It's impossible, yeah, as I said before, to deliver a good service if I'm worried about, can I pay the next bill? So I think this is why employers, to an increasing degree, are taking on the financial wellness bit because it's, one, a productivity thing. Two, it is the most central benefit you can give to your employees is actually helping them sort their financial lives out. And that's really interesting. And you coming back to the foundation of like how you create, you know, a platform for doing good work in principle. And I can remember in my time in HR, we talked a lot about what is the foundations we need to put in place to create this great people experience and employee journey from end to end. And actually what we found out was a very simple thing is that there was actually, we didn't call it financial wellness at that time, but it was again, knowledge and education about money budgeting it was like very much focusing on budgeting this is your salary yeah. this is what you should be learning in the outcome and then we had a whole thing around actually what we learned was that it's a having the right amount of shifts again to be able to pay that yeah and actually and then also just have a workplace you come into the works so yeah it's organized there's a plan for the day there's enough people at work to do the job which i know is a huge challenge right now and actually you got paid on time if you've got these yeah. basics, then you can actually start building on that. Then you can start talking about how we recruit, how we onboard, how we do performance management, how we do training, all those things. But if you're not on top of that, then start there. That's the 20% that get 80% in the people experience. The rest of it is maybe, I would, it's tough to say hygiene factors, but they almost are. You have to be good at them. But if you're not mastering the other bit, it will collapse yeah. for you. Yeah, and I think especially in the UK market now, what we're seeing is it's table stakes. People are used to it, right? Like the monthly salary or even weekly salary, that's a salary mindset of 50 years ago. And it's just stuck because it's been too difficult to change it. Now people are starting to see you can actually deliver salary in a way that makes sense to our employees' lives and how they live. And once employees get used to that, you just need to have that because if not, they're going to move somewhere else, right? Yeah, and I think that that comes really well as well to one of the other things I wanted to ask you about, Jonathan, is that, you know, because you have all this data, you've been talking with, you know, both operator, but also frontline employees you're out talking with. Yep. Uh, and often when you sit and have to develop your people strategy, having that insights with about, you know, your target audience, like you build your business strategy from a customer point of view, but then if you build your HR strategy is for your employees' wants and needs. What is exactly they expect of the future of work? Because there's a lot of surveys out there and so on. But what has been like your own learnings? What is that they really want from a job in hospitality? And what is really key to focus on? Yeah, really good question. I think, so, so just for context, we've interviewed more than 500 employees in, in let's call it a Gen Z, the future of work really. And I think there's three main areas that we see that they have very high expectations of. And as a preface to that, what I want to say is that 
the modern employee, let's call it that, they have a more transactional view on working at a company. It used to be that, you know, if you started working somewhere, you'd work there for five years and you'd be happy if you got your salary. Suddenly, employees are now thinking, what do I get out of working here? I could work over there, right? And by saying things are transactional, I'm not saying they're monetary. It's not just money they're looking for. They're looking for things like, do I identify with the values of this company? Can I see myself growing in here, et cetera? Like, these are the things that you need to live up to. And if we talk about the three different areas that we're seeing, one area is training and onboarding. Like, when they go to a company, they expect that it's clear what the expectation is for them and that they're growing. And not just in the first two weeks until they can do the job, but there should actually be a plan for them. Like, where am mm. I going to be in two years if I'm still here? Where am I going to be in four years? So that entire journey needs to be pretty clear. I think Shake Shack is probably the best example of that, right? The whole world where you move from one brand to another, there's a very clear route in terms of where you can go. Joe and the Jews have also been fantastic at this. And I see a lot of different operators copying that style where you start at the at McDonald's, where you come from, obviously, were probably the first ones for that. But you start on the floor, then you can become a manager then you can become a regional director. You can come in and join the SWAT team. Then you can go specialize within the coffee segment or however you want to do it, but you can actually create a career. So that's super important for them. Second bit that we're seeing is flexibility is becoming incredibly important to the degree that we hear from almost every single operator that they see people on a monthly basis quitting because they can't get rid of a shift. They'll come in and they'll be like, hey, I need to go to 21st birthday on Friday. And like, well, you can't, you have a shift. All right. And then they never see them again. So that's the, you can say, you could say that they are spoiled or you can accept that the employees are more empowered now. They just have different needs and that's annoying as an operator, but you need to create loyalty in, in different ways. So flexibility in terms of shift is one thing. Flexibility in terms of salary is another thing that's increasingly becoming a demand. I want to decide when I've earned my money, when I can take it out. Uh, and flexibility in terms of like the job that they actually want to do. So that's an, a second piece that we see being super important. And then I think actually what's becoming most important is what we call a community or identity, which is hmm. I come into work for something different than just money. It's I don't just come to do a job. I come because I connect. Let's take John the Jews as an example. I connect with this plan of taking over the world. I want to be part of something that's growing and a movement. Or we could take Let's Sushi in Denmark are super known for being sustainability focused. People come in there because they really want to be part of something that's super sustainable and it fits with their identity and therefore they connect with it. Or it could be somewhere where they're known for having a great community, right? So that would be we have a social wall where we put up, hey, I did a, this fantastic coffee and they're competing and doing like the coolest coffees. They go to competitions together. There's a lot of social things happening around us. So rather than just being, I get to work and I do these cups of coffee because I get 10 quid an hour and then I go home and then I have my money. It's like, I go to work because it's a nice community to, to be part of. I love being a, a juicer at Joe and the Juice or you know, doing salad bowls at Dolly, which is another Danish example that are incredible at doing the social piece. So if I can get something else out of it, that's not just, I'm doing this to get some money, but I'm actually identifying either with the community, with the values or the growth journey that we're on. 
Yeah, and, and that's super interesting because actually companies that have been really good at building these end-to-end -end employee experience, if they were very like business book about it, that, you know, you start with, you know, with how you recruit or they are maybe a bit by accident because it just is in their DNA, is actually they always have this to see that the, the workplace more and it becomes automatic like community. And I had a lot of guests on. And actually what it starts with often, what I've learned when I looked into this is, and what I've experienced myself and my success with is that when you're very clear on your beliefs and your values and you can communicate them and actually integrate them into some physically activities, if that's like, you know, if you are really into coffee, then mastery mm -hmm. of the coffee art, and it's really mm -hmm. hard to get into 10 top percent in the company, but would you get into that? Then you are like, you know, that's a journey people want to go on. Yeah. Or uh, it's something about, you know, excellence in service. And then you have like the service awards and so on. But actually it's done in a way where actually it is totally natural and in connection with the value. It's not done like a yeah. gimmick because, oh, this is a smart gimmick to retain people. It's just totally natural in them. But yeah. the reason why they're very clear about what they need to do is, again, they absolutely clarify the beliefs values and, and soon you know and here in august here we also have an episode going out with ari from singermans and he talks about this beliefs work they've done and he wrote a whole book about it it took him three years to write that book but that actually helped him cement about how they thought about beliefs because believe that what you believe is what you put in action you can mm. still put things in action you don't believe but it's never really going to create that community feel yeah. and i think there's a lot around that piece accepting that you actually need to do the cultural work before you can do the initiative to create community and i think exactly. we're all hungering to belonging as well in these you know we're all feeling this yeah. time you know pandemic cost of living crisis you know it's difficult for everyone i don't meet anyone at any layer of society or any ceo or frontline employee that's not struggling with things so we need to belong somewhere yeah, and we're demanding more than just a salary. I think that's the same for my company, right? I can attract the best employees because we're doing something with a social impact. And people want that as, and this is, you know, and if I want the best people, they can choose 10 different places to work, right? Similar to once you come to a manager level in the restaurant world, everyone wants you, right? Like losing a manager is super expensive. So you can pick, now it's, that creates an incentive for the restaurants to start really investing in employees and in that employee journey. and finding a way to communicate what are we about, which I think mm. is really what you're talking about. What yeah. are the values here, right? So the example I have is I, I like to use gas stations as an example because yeah. it's very hard to imagine. I'm being a bit harsh here, but that's a great job that people really want to go into to, to pour, you know, coffee at a gas station. But, you know, if that gas station said, you know, the value that we have is excellent customer service from the moment and a customer goes through that door, it needs to be a luxury experience. They need to leave with a smile on their face. Then suddenly the uh, employees, they don't just work at a gas station doing these cups of coffee to get that 10 pound an hour. What they are doing is every day coming in and trying to think, how can we make this experience better? They start communicating about, oh, we did this that made it feel like a first class experience. And suddenly you're part of something again, right? So finding this thing, what are we about? And communicating that both in pre-boarding, onboarding, and continually to employees is super important in this day and age. And that, that leads me to the next thing. Yeah, I think you're maybe already advanced some of this, Jonathan, but actually what is like if you as a, you're a supplier to the industry, no matter where we are, is going through a really, you know, I wouldn't call it a tough time. I think we're in a transformation about how we do hospitality and how hospitality businesses are going to look for the future. But it's like, 
if there's like one problem you just could, you know, take away from the industry that would actually make it easier for everyone, like the big domino that makes everything change in the positive direction, what would that be from the conversations you've had? What is like your view on that? I think the biggest problem I'm still seeing in the industry, and I think, as you said, we're seeing a transformation from that where we're going to see winners and we're going to see losers. I was talking to a large pizza chain, and when I was speaking about what we delivered, they said, oh, but these are just our part-time workers. They leave every three months anyway. It doesn't really matter. They're just going to continually come. Right. That's the old school mindset of let's penny pinch everywhere because that's how I make money in this industry. I keep my cost base low and therefore I can make a little bit of margin on top of that, right? Uh, but if you don't start investing strategically in employees, you're not going to have employees, right? So if there's one thing I could take away from this industry, one issue, it's that short-term, super tactical view and helping people, you know, look a little bit more long-term, what actually needs to happen for us to continue being winners. Because that money is going to come back, right? If you lower your turnover from 130% to 90%, or even from 90% to 70%, you're going to see that in your revenue. You're going to see that in your bottom line. And it's going to happen within a year. But it's super hard when you're stressed every single month about not going into the red. So that's the biggest issue I'm seeing in the industry. And But honestly, also, what I'm excited to see is that this transformation is happening. Yeah. There's just still a lot of traditional views out there, I'd say. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I talk with operators that really are, you know, you would call them maverick operators and they telling me, you know, they will have times where they also have churned that they would never ever believe they would have. And they said, if we hadn't put, you know, some of these things in our employee experience 10 years ago, we'll probably be in a much worse place now. We might even be on the brink of failure. If we didn't do these things where people say we're not, if that was benefits or that was like part of special part of training, whatever they have done, because every employee experience in my world has to be cooked up differently. There's no algorithm for the employee experience because it has to, you know, has the right connection to the purpose of the business, the direction the business are going in. Again, how that business position in the customer's mind, because McDonald's, McDonald's is not for everyone. And the same as Joe and the Juice is also not for everyone. It's very clear. Yeah. It's like two cultures that's very clear. Either they attract you or they, you know, reject you. And yeah. I think these are the winner in the future that really can build that, you know, positioning on their employee strategy and actually go from you say, it's really interesting that I've seen the same very tactical approach to people to a more strategic approach, like you would do with your marketing plan and mm -hmm. your sales plan. I rarely see a very professional hospitality business that was not very strategic about their next three years and how they were actually positioning themselves according yeah. to their customers. They, yeah. The work also has to be done with the employees because they are too equal if the employees are not even more important because they actually deliver your culture and yeah. the experience you want to sell to the customer. Yeah, exactly. I think like that's also what people tend to forget is that your frontline workers is your marketing, right? Like if they're not happy, that's the experience your customers are going to get. But I also think like that this, just building on what you said, this is term that has become super popular lately, right? Employee value proposition. That's everyone's yeah. talking about this. And I think that is the key thing to nail. I think one of the issues I'm seeing is that a lot of companies think they have an employee value proposition, but what they have is, you know, 
You can get a soft drink when you come to work and you don't have to wear a uniform and we have fun together. Like that's not an employee value proposition, right? Like it requires something, as you said, that's a bit more distinct, like join the juice, super distinct, McDonald's, super distinct, right? Like join the juice is always like this coolness factor. You're part of a movement. You're part of something that's growing globally. McDonald's, great for your CV. You get some real skills. You move on all of this stuff, even though it's not like in theory, necessarily prestigious to be flipping burgers, right? But the whole machine that lives behind it, that's great, right? Those are two extremely distinct value propositions. And I think what you see at a, a small level when you only have one cafe or restaurant, like it's easy to have like a nice, cozy atmosphere and then employee value proposition. But then when you grow to three to five, scaling that proposition, scaling that culture, that becomes really hard. And I think that's where technology also needs to come in. Yeah, because again, it comes down to, again, what kind of vision do you have? When people talk vision, often I have done a lot of work with CEOs, founders and hospitality. It becomes about how much money you make and how big you are, but actually what kind of organization do you actually need to build to get there? I often ask them and you can see, what do you mean with that? You know, what kind of values are you living? What's happening in the organization? What is people are saying about working there? Yeah. You know, what kind of events has been going on? What kind of in initiatives have you done? And yeah. so on and so on. It's really interesting. There's something called Patty and Scott Coffee and uh, Jonathan, the CEO, also been on the show. And now I can see he had this vision he talked about as he was into during the pandemic about how can he actually make entrepreneurs out of his people. And Singleman's, I talked about earlier, they also have this kind of, they actually build business people. Yeah. And they actually now, I think there's one of them that has gone and opened their own coffee shop, I think in the line with the brand name. And then somebody else has gone and done another business. And I and see he's been very, and the traction, he's got a LinkedIn on that. And I'm sure locally in that area of Paddy and Scott is in, in, the, in the East England, they, I'm sure there's people that have joined them because maybe actually because lots of young people actually want to be entrepreneurs. And yeah. if you can actually get that training and that mindset, working for somebody else is the best training you can get. Like, as you said, McDonald's was the best training for me to learn something about management and finances because yeah, it's yeah. a machine. It's an operational machine. There's no, no other to perfection like that in the industry. So, so, so I totally agree with you. There is a, there's a whole way of actually envisioning what kind of workplace you want to be. Yeah. And then you mentioned technology. What is technology's role then in, in doing this? Because I, I believe that technology is here to play an important role. It's not the all role, but it's definitely an important role to do the heavy lifting, especially the management side. Exactly. And I think, I think you, you absolutely nail it when you start talking about management teams. So that kind of talks a little bit about bigger organizations, right? Because I think if you're just having one place, you're fine, right? Shoulders to shoulders, fine. People come in, they shadow. It's no problem. You don't need processes. You don't need to be super smart about all of these things. You just need to have like a good feeling. But as you start growing, those values, that culture that you're building early on, Suddenly you have, say, three locations, you have three different managers. They do things slightly differently. They teach the next three managers that come in. Suddenly you have nine different small cultures happening. And you as a management team, you lose touch of what's happening in each different place. You don't even necessarily know the managers are keeping people happy, right? And I think as you scale, this is really where technology come in, comes in. Because what technology does is it provides consistency of culture, consistency of communication, right? If we are about this, how does that person number 100, number 1,000, number 10,000, how do they know that? Well, they need to get that communicated in some way. I think technology is super important in terms of 
scaling culture in that way. At the same time, let's talk about pre-boarding and onboarding training, right? How do I ensure that people are consistently delivering at the standard and in the way I expect them to do? Well, the only way to really know that, I think, is if they get the same training. Naturally, there's always going to be some human touch, but you know, managers are at different levels in terms of how well they train. If it's always just shoulder to shoulder, you're never going to be better than that next person. But if you can put in place a consistent training and review system, then suddenly you've also scaled that bit, right? So I think that's really where technology comes in. And on top of this, it's freeing people's minds from trivial tasks, right? So the example would be a manager, you really want them to be a mentor in, in, in a given location. But if they have to go and remember, oh, this person, it's their third shift. What do they need to learn? Oh, I have this piece of paper over here. Like, take all of that trivial mind space away from them and say, okay, we have some technology that solves this. All you need to do is be a great mentor to this person. Then you can really start scaling your culture. And I think that's the key thing. Operational efficiency, taking trivial pits out and then scaling culture. That's how I see technology working. Yeah, and I think, you know, hospitality is a human experience and there's been lots of conversation online about AI and let's not go down that rabbit hole. But I actually think AI exactly can do that kind of thing for these organizations because it's still margins are tight. They, they, yeah. Because you can only grow your sales certain way, so you need to find more efficient way. And actually, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I've been studying myself a lot is that how can I avoid to remember, I have to spend time on remembering trivial stuff, as you said, like, mm -hmm. where do I find that password? Where do I do this? So, so whole, my whole life as a leader is I have my technology is my app is Notion and everything yeah. goes in there. Articles I need to read, things I need to ask people on the podcast, things yeah. I need to do in meetings, you know, my weekly focus is there. I can move it around and yeah. I'm always up to date on that. And that means I don't have to think about it. Don't have to write yeah. it down somewhere. I can always go and find my thing there. And I think that's how you should actually see is like a super brain. It's the management super brain to help them actually spend time on what matter, create the human exactly. experience, both for the yeah. customer and the employees. Yeah. Yeah. You should be spending your time on the value add bits and then the trivial part should be taken away from technology. One of our customers, CIC Hospitality is a hotel operator. They're talking about the one and 2%, right? Mm. When you're in a tight margin business, it's always about finding that half percent, that one percent. Can this person do these two bits? Can we make this more efficient, right? And I think that's also where technology comes in, right? Rather than the new person always having to go ask uh, a manager, it takes like five minutes out of each of their life. Like you take that one percent out if they just have access to that digital handbook, they can always find that answer. Processes are very clear, so they never mess up. If you constantly just add these one percent extra efficiencies everywhere, that really adds up over time when your margins are tied. Super, super, super interesting. Yeah, like, yeah, because I always talk about, you know, if you can improve 1% every day, you'll be an amazing place. Atomic Habits talks about then you're 30 times better than in the end of the year. And I think I've, yeah, when I learned that at one point in my management career, I also started to create totally different results because also you yeah. become much more patient with the process. Yeah. Which is this, leading a business and building an acne. I want to take us a bit, towards that here in the last bit of the conversation about, because you also been building a business yep. and you know, you're three years in, you're in this incredible entrepreneurial journey, which is a tough journey. People as listening in knows that I know that what, and you started at a very, you know, interesting time. I would say in all my years in business, this has probably been the most insane, but also the most development for myself and others. And 
I wanted to hear what has like been your top learning in, in, in those years. Like what is the thing you take with you, you really have reflected on that really has, you know, grown myself and the way I think about business and my leadership. And Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the biggest thing I've learned in terms of building a business is that you really need to be careful about your energy and how that impacts people right like because you at least i and i think most entrepreneurs they have a tendency to squeeze themselves right like i'll mm. fix this i'll fix that i'll fix this and you know, i'm no pro at managing my energy yet and I, i'm not sure if i'll ever be an expert in it but i can just see if i'm squeezing myself too hard then when i come into work i come in with the wrong energy i'm annoyed with things i like i'm short with people and that has a very negative impact on their day, right? They did a piece of work and I'm maybe short because I'm annoyed about something else I'm trying to figure out. Um, and suddenly they have low productivity that day because I'm being a, like short with them. So I think this managing your energy means being effective rather than just efficient, if that mm. makes sense, right? If I take one hour in the morning at home because I'm having a terrible day and then I come in at 10 rather than nine, but I actually come in with good energy has a fantastic impact in terms of where we actually end up going with the company rather than me being like, oh, I need to work from 8 a.m. till 9 p.m. And then, you know, that's how you're an entrepreneur. I think that's the, that's been the biggest learning for me. That's a super interesting because when I ran a group of cafes, um, we had leaders and I had this issue with them actually, you know, and I was very aware and I had a very good boss that learned me very early in my career. If you have a shit day, don't show up or find out how you can actually get in the right state before you show up. Yeah. And it was very counterintuitive. And some people thought I was not. So my colleague in the industry, do you really say this? I've heard you say to your manager, if you have a bad day, stay at home. Yeah, I have. That's a rule. If I come and I see their bad move, I send them home. But actually yeah. what happens is that maybe one of the, some days it will take a day off and then actually it becomes an hour. It becomes half an hour. It becomes 20 minutes. They are away to do something else. They just say, I just need to, if you come and visit them, can you just be here? It's, I just need to go away for 20 minutes to think, and then I'll come back and take over. And you take over. You create this culture of asking for permission to be in the right state because that really mm. impacts the quality of the leadership and the quality of the leadership impacts the quality of the service and the quality of the service impact your sales, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, yeah. All, and it's super interesting that has been your learning because I think lots of business owner founders, and I still forget this. It's not because I'm, you become perfect at it. For sure. But like, Same. But, but you have it like a switch. You think, oh, fuck. Yeah. I need, can I just have five minutes and you'll go away? And I had it the other day where I was like really frustrated about something and I took it home as well. And then we have a thing with my wife. And my wife said, you probably need to take one of your breaks, don't you? And then I went for a run. And I came back. I was totally fine, you know? So again, but, like any energy management is so important also to manage through these tough times yeah. because it is tough and there's a lot of things you're not in control of, but one thing you is in control of is your state without sounding yeah. too much like Tony Robbins trying <laughs> to avoid that. How do you make hard decisions? Because like you in a very young age have been running a business. It's full of hard decisions. It's nothing but hard decisions in my view. Yeah. Yeah. How do you make them? Ah. Uh, I mean, it's hard, obviously. It's a <laughs> I think with hard decisions, you can end up overthinking stuff. You can be so worried about making the wrong decision that you want to do so much analysis and then you want the analysis to give you 
the answer. So I think with hard decisions, obviously do do some analysis, like get comfortable with what the facts are. But when you have uncovered, say, 80% of the facts or, or 90%, you don't need to get to that 99.9% certainty. I think a lot of it is also gut feel. Like, so, so I think get obviously to the facts, like at a decent level, but then also like figure out how you feel. Because my biggest worry is the cost of decision-making. Mm. That like, like quite often, you know, if, if something is 50-50 or, or 60-40, the cost of continually considering whether to go one way or the other often outweighs the difference between those two decisions. Yeah, that's super interesting because it comes back to something I took from a book I read in my years in business school and I actually wrote and my dissertation on a practical dissertation on changing a culture was actually this thing about face the brutal facts and, and good to great. And actually, sometimes we try to avoid, everybody can see what the brutal facts is down the lane. Everybody knows what the train crash is going to look like, but nobody yeah. wants to make the decision because it's horrible. But if you actually do that, you're actually in a much better place to challenge that. And, right. and I think that it's important to be aware of your biases as well. And I think, you know, being in a startup, you have to be super uh, attentive to how much money you're spending at all times. And, and are you spending it in the right way, right? And for most startups, that means you need to let people go once in a while. And I hate letting people go. Most people mm. do, right? So you tend to find excuses not to. So being aware of that bias and being, okay, now you're considering whether it's the right decision to let someone go, then it probably is, right? Because you're going to try and find excuses not to do it because it's super uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, so I think being aware of your own bias is also pretty important. Yeah. Well, how are we going to open tomorrow and who's going to do that job and all those concerns. Like either it's the right people on the bus or the wrong people. And if you don't yeah. get the wrong people off the bus, the right people will leave you. Going back exactly, again to yeah. another great Jim Collins analogies from for two than what and good to great. What That's is uh, your top advice, Jonathan, to people or leaders out there that's trying to build this business as a force for good? And we had the employee experience, of course, is essential to become yeah. that force for good. What is your top advice to them? No, I think, you know, first of all, I think building a business that's a force for good is in essence the same as building any other businesses, but you just have an advantage in terms of how easily can you recruit people? How can you connect with partners that want to drive you out? So I think take advantage of the fact that you're doing something that's a force for good, but also don't uh, forget that you're building a business, if that makes sense. Like drive it as if you're just building a normal business, but then think about, okay, when we then do go out and recruit, how can we communicate this in the right way? When we go to potential customers, how do we make sure we actually communicate this bit and then going to partners, the same thing. And I say this not being very good at it uh, myself, right? Because I tend to forget a little bit in the sense of not, you know, we have this Danish, which is like, you shouldn't think you are something or whatever, yeah. right? But I think actually taking advantage of the fact that you're building something that is a force of good, I think is a, yeah, is something that's pretty important. Yeah, and I think often we get, you know, we forget actually we actually start out, most business owners, as you wanted to change the financial situation of people's life, we then forget on that journey. That's actually where it all started. And we forget mm. to communicate because we know it, but we just forget to communicate the same. So actually lots of businesses are forces for good. You don't yeah. have to be Patagonia and 
give the whole company to the planet. That's eventually where they got to. But in principle, yeah. it was just because they talked about how can we be more gentle to nature all the yeah. time. And, yeah. and it was just baked into everything they did to the zippers and so on. And they just continuously improved on that and remembered that intent that yes. they had. And, and this is terrible, that actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really important, right, to continually communicate internally as well. Why are we doing this, right? It yeah. goes back to what we're talking about for restaurateurs as well and helping them with like, why should people connect to your company? It's the same if you're building a company who is, uh, which is a force for good. Like, why should people connect to your company? Well, that's a fantastic employee value proposition. If they care about this purpose that you have, then you're in a good position. So where can people connect with you, Jonathan, if they want to hear more about financial wellness, how to build a better employee study? see what all gravy is all about and maybe learn more about all the insights you've had diving into companies that's really focusing well on this and trying to transform their employee experience. Yeah. So the best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn, Jonathan Mark Rasmussen or the all gravy company page where we share insights as often as possible. There's obviously our website, allgravy.com. And if you want to contact me directly, there's also my email, jmr at allgravy.com. Yeah, so feel free to get in touch if you're excited by this topic. I always love to speak to other people that, that care about this. Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to come and share your journey, All Gravy's purpose and the change you're trying to do within financial wellness. I wish you and the team power and energy for the journey ahead. There's still a lot of friction to be solved when it comes to this, I believe. For sure. Thank you so much for having Michael. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others, rate or give a review or subscribe to one of our channels. Which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. I believe that reading the right books is key to become a better leader. So I've helped you with a curated list of some of the best books to improve yourself, others, and the organization. Find them on hospitalitymavericks.com. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their socials at bitsimply or bitsimplyhq. You can also email them directly at podcast at bitsimply.com. Thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer from the podcast Collective. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or via my email, michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast Show. Be Maverick.